Hello again, this is Buddy Weaver welcoming you to episode 360 featuring a presentation given to new and experienced callers by the late Ed Gilmore. The recording was made in the mid-1960s, and because of its length will be presented in multiple parts. The lessons shared are timeless, as important today as they were when first spoken. The presenter is a true father of all caller teachers and coaches. Ed Gilmore began caller colleges, weekend or week-long institutes, to teach the art and science of calling. Starting in the 1950s, continuing nonstop until his passing in 1971. In many respects, he was a man ahead of his time. The ideas that seem revolutionary yesterday may have found an audience today, especially his discussion on forming new beginner clubs, a great way to build square dancing in any area. More information about Ed Gilmore is offered in episode 320. This audio represents many hours of studio time on old tapes to give you a clean and concise audio of Ed Gilmore's Caller College. Here now is part one. Now, we've always stated, too, in the past years, we've tried to make you understand that we can't teach you to call uh, in a three-day weekend or in a five-day week or in the attendance of a five-day session as we have in Colorado for two or three or four years. You learn to call by doing. You learn anything through practice. A piano teacher does not teach a student to play the piano. A piano teacher gives you exercises and makes you understand techniques and uh, problems and uh, the the, uh, uh, science of the instrument uh, and gives you this week's lesson to go home and practice all by yourself in a corner uh, an hour a day or two hours a day, and the student who puts in five hours a day becomes a concert pianist usually, and the one who cheats on uh, the hour and does a half hour uh, becomes a mediocre pianist or quits. Now, the same is true in calling. The only way you will learn to call is through calling and calling and calling and calling. And what we will do is try to give you practices, exercises, uh, methods, uh, things to remember, technical things and and, uh, psychological things to remember in your calling approaches that we know are important. Things that we know through years of experience are the most important things in becoming a good caller. So don't expect any miracles. You'll probably do... The one thing, those of you that haven't been here before, those who have, will, I think, testify to this. Those of you who have been here before did just what I begged you not to do. I begged you not to go home and change a thing with your existing dancers. You know? Now, what did you do? You went back and started trying this and that, and your dancer said, Wow, did that guy louse you up? Uh, uh, changing this and changing that. This will get you in trouble. We ask you not to change a thing with your existing dancers. Everything we're going to deal with in this weekend is aimed at you as the teacher of new dancers and then developing new dancers who will dance in a way that will encourage their permanent participation. They're staying with you. Permanent? Well, how long is permanent? But longer than they are currently staying with the activity. That's the thing we're working toward. The things we ask you to do, the radical changes in what you've been doing, we want you to practice those things with the new people that you train who don't know how you're supposed to sound. The ones who are dancing with you like you the way you are or they wouldn't be there. And the changes disturb them. People resist change for the better or for the worse. They resist change. So don't try to change existing dancers. Don't say you go back and say, well, now look. You've been doing this all wrong. You're in trouble the minute you say it. So remember this, please. We'll repeat it several times during the weekend. Do not change what you're doing with these existing dancers. That will happen to you. Your changes will happen as you progress. Apply these things to the new people you will train. If you're not training people, 
then most of this weekend is going to be pretty much wasted for you. Because most of what we will do is aimed at uh, this whole problem of developing good dancers and keeping them happy. And unless you develop them, unless you teach people to dance and call for them, you will never be a good caller. You just cannot be a successful caller and not teach because calling is teaching. Every time you take a microphone and do a call, you're giving instruction to people what to do with their hands and feet in time to the music. Every call that you do. Now, maybe you're not doing that. If you're not doing it, you're not calling. If you're reading something off of a piece of paper, you're not calling. Uh, if you're reciting something from memory without knowing what happens to it, actually, but just reciting words, you're not calling. You're just reciting. So as we get into this, we hope you'll understand. This may jolt some of you a little bit. Let me put it this way now. Let's see. This might be a... a How many of you have started a beginning club in the past year and didn't call it a class at all and just started as a beginning club and kept them together? One. Last year, two. Uh, this is our recommendation. And these are important to me, very important. Uh, how many of you tried it? Hit a snag. Anybody? Uh, this is uh, the thing I continue to crusade for, the beginning club. Even the dropping of the word class. Because the word class suggests study, work. It doesn't suggest play and have fun. And when anybody comes into square dancing, somebody's convinced them that it's fun. And the minute they come into the class, they say, when do I graduate? Meaning, when does the fun begin? When is the work over? When does the fun begin? And this is just the reverse psychology of what you want. You want them to come in the first night, and from that night and every night they're on to have fun. And if they do, they don't quit. There's only one reason that people quit square dancing. Now, this is, you'll give me some others, like getting sick or having a baby or something. But I mean, in general, people stop square dancing because it ceases to be fun. And if it isn't fun, there's only one person responsible, and that's the caller. There's only one person that decides what that program will be. And when people, when callers say to me, my dancers want, and I have to do this kind of a program because my dancers want, this is baloney, pure, unadulterated baloney. Each caller calls what he wants to call. He just doesn't do material that he doesn't want to do. He does the things he's interested in, the things that intrigue him. He looks through the magazine and he finds something that he likes, and he calls it. And he very rarely is very observing about whether the dancers like that particular thing or not. He'll get them through it. He'll make them like it if he likes it. So this we want to stress with you. You are working for dancers, not for yourself. You are trying to please dancers, not yourself. And when you please yourself, when you please yourself, when you're calling what you enjoy most, the thing you like to do, 99 times out of 100, you're clobbering your dancers. Because they don't think like you. They walk into a square dance club tonight at 8 o'clock. And they haven't been to a dance for a week or two. This is the average dancer. And they haven't thought about Do Passos and Dixie Chains and Fold Wines and Shake Dice. They've been busy thinking about other things. And they walk in the hall and the caller's been thinking about nothing else for the last week. And if he calls what interests him, if he calls what interests him, it'll be too much for the average dancer. It'll be more than he can handle. Now, this is true. You may, you may argue with this and not accept it, because you will be thinking immediately about that one set of your dancers, or those two or three couples that go as often as you do. And they know what you're going to call before you call it. And you may be trying to keep ahead of them, Keep them interested. They think like you do. I'm talking about the average club dancer who quits. And it's usually because the caller is calling for himself and for other callers. 
trying to keep up with other callers, and he's running away from them. You have to sort of bore yourself. You have to kind of bore yourself with the material you use. You have to use a lot of, pardon me ladies, guts to discipline yourself to keep the complexity, the tempos, the timing, the intriguing little gimmicks and so forth to keep them down at a level that will keep the average club member coming to the club. And if we don't keep the average member coming, pretty soon there's nobody to pay the dues. And there's nobody to pay the rent or pay you. And uh, that's when we get in trouble. This turnover problem. Now, no one, I think, will argue with it. Some callers do. But I think if they'll go home and sit and talk to themselves, they won't argue. The turnover problem is the big problem. A tremendous number of people coming into the activity every year, and 80% of them down the drain in less than two years. 80% of them not dancing anymore in less than two years. Want to keep books? We've asked you to. Have any of you kept books? Do any of you know from two years ago when we first talked about this, the class that you started that year, uh, or the following year, do you know where every one of those dancers that were in that class, do you know where they are today, what's happened to them? Every one of them, you know. Not to tell anybody, not to say, well, I kept such and such a percentage, but just to tell yourself, do you know? Now, we think this is important. Keep books on yourself. Know what your net product is from each class you teach. Know what the length of participation of each dancer you train is. How long do they stay in the activity? And don't accept that uh, this is the way the cookie crumbles. People are going to quit. They're just going to dance a little while and quit. So we'll get some more and train them. and Graduate them and then they'll quit. And then we'll get some more and we'll train them. And don't say that. Callers do. Please don't be one of those. There's always a chance to improve. There's always a better way. And there's always a way to hold more people for a greater length of time. And how long is that possible length? Well, there are people in most of the older nations of the world that have been doing the folk dances of their nation since they were children. And they do them until they get too old to walk, too old to move, and never tire of them. And so I assume that that's possible with American folk dance. Eventually it'll be true. People will learn our dances and dance them until they get too old to dance. It's going to happen someday. Maybe 25 years, maybe 50, maybe 100 years from now. Who knows? Maybe next year. I don't think so. But this is the thing we're striving for, is to extend the participation and to hold people in the activity. Everybody's concerned about how do you get new dancers. Well, I'm a darn sight more concerned with keeping the ones we get. If we kept a bigger percentage of the ones we get, this activity would be fantastic in size. Some of you may argue that this is not true, this 80% turnover in a period of two years. We still say just keep books. Birmingham, Alabama did keep books, and their turnover was 40% per year in the membership of their association. And this did not reflect hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of dancers who never joined the association because they never got beyond graduation night of the class and joined a club. They never got into a club. They quit before they got that far. But of those who did graduate and join a club, the turnover has been 40% per year. And they're trying to do something about it through leadership training. And now, this year, we're going to do a three-day session with all of the callers of the area, plus all of the association officers, plus all of the club presidents of the area, all together. And uh, see if working together, dance leadership and caller leadership, can't extend the experience of the dancer. Now you may say, well, if we're going to have to pull the activity down to a simple thing that everybody can do and stay in, it's going to be boring and we're going to lose them on the other end. People are going to get bored and quit. Well, we're not recommending that either. We're recommending letting people grow. We're recommending letting them grow in the things that are important in their understanding of rhythm and music and dancing, D-A-N-C-I-N-G, not hand-grabbing, dancing. There are now, there's two kinds of, of dancers, high-level dancers. There are good dancers, and there are good figure-doers, and the two are not necessarily the same thing. 
Somebody who can execute figures and remember terms like crazy may be a lousy dancer, and vice versa. You see? So all we want is a happy situation between the two, where we don't go too far in any extreme, but the one thing that we know will never get old is movement to rhythm and music. This has been around since the beginning of man's history, and it will always be around. Men want to dance. They want to move and express emotion through rhythm and music, rhythm to music, rhythmical movement. Interpreting the rhythm of the music is what Webster says dancing is. And this is the thing, the weak thing in our whole activity. This is the one big, real weak part of our activity is that the leadership is not working on interpreting the rhythm of the music. They're too busy working on interpreting the call. You call it and let's see can we do it. The happy little contest. I mean it's happy for the winners. And the losers quit. This is the thing that we worry about. Now this week, we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about the pros and cons of comfortable dancing and hot hash and all of this stuff. Uh, we've talked about it for years, and I think everybody in this room, whether you've ever been with me before or not, probably know my reputation as crusading for comfortable dancing and for minimizing so-called hot hash, for minimizing competitive dancing. Because competitive dancing loses. Competitive dancing fails and has continued to fail right through the history of this activity ever since I've been in it. I can guarantee you failure if you base your calling on competitive issues. If you're trying to com put the dancers in competition with each other to see which one can outthink and outdo the other, to see which one has the quickest reaction time mentally and physically, You've started a contest, and this becomes a process of elimination, and down the drain go the losers. It doesn't feel good. No one's ever happy losing, and they'll quit. We can't score them, so you haven't proven anything, you see. When you, when you run a contest in square dancing, you can't score them. You haven't proven a thing. You may have proven that Joe Blow is more alert mentally than Sam Green, that he can think better, and that he can move quicker. He can hear, translate, and do quicker. But you haven't proven that he's a better dancer. You haven't proven that he's a better club member. You haven't proven that we don't need Green to pay his dues and keep paying our salary. You see? So the contest doesn't prove. There's no way to score. It doesn't prove anything. So we will try to spend a minimum amount of time talking about that, and when you call... Uh, feel free to call anything that you want to, whether it's hot hash or whatever you think you, whatever you enjoy doing or like to do and what is typical of the kind of a program you call. And we'll try, if you're going to call hot hash, we'll try to help you do a little better job of it and get more people through it and have less of a contest by showing you how to use pre-command and post-command insurance, extension of timing, orientation figures, and the things that will get the slower thinking dancer through the same so-called hot hash as the faster dancer. Uh, getting back to our subject, what is a square dance club? A square dance club is a group of people, right? A group of people? You agree with this now? Bob your head if you do. It's a group. You have to have a group, right? All right, that's the first thing. We take the fundamental thing. A square dance club is a group. You can't have a dance without a group. You have to have a group. Maybe you could call eight people a group. You have one set, but that's a minimum. That's what you got to start with. And if you have eight sets, that's 64, you know. Or if you have 10, it's 80. But you must have a group of people to have a square dance club, regardless of its size. Now, would you agree with this? If you have a group of people, and you have to have a group to have a club, will there not be all degrees of enthusiasm for square dancing in that group all the way from the fellow whose wife, with great effort, drags him to every dance he comes to. And he still doesn't care whether he ever goes again or not. Is this, have you got one in your club? Or, or vice versa. Maybe he's dragging her. Maybe some night she comes alone. Maybe he comes alone because the other won't come. 
and maybe she can only get him there once a month. And the dance club dances four times a month. Well, he's there. He's in the club. Now, I don't want to disillusion anybody, but he'll always be there. If you have clubs for the rest of your life, you'll always have that guy. And, uh, you know, certain numbers of them. You'll have a few. Then there's the other extreme. There's a fellow that just can't wait till tomorrow night because there's another dance tomorrow night. He wants you to keep calling after midnight until 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. And why don't we go somewhere and dance to records after that? Right? And he's in your club. There is the couple or couples that go three nights a week to square dances if there are three available or four. If there are four available in your club. And there are the couples in your club that go once a month. And they're all in the same club, right? All right, the ones that are going four nights a week and dancing, let's say, three hours a night are getting 12 hours a week practice. The one who goes once a month is getting three hours a month. And you've got 48 hours of practice against three hours of practice. Now, who's going to be the most alert? Who's going to be the sharpest? How are you going to put these two in a contest with each other? You can't handicap them like we do bowlers. Bowlers, they can be lousy. We handicap them. He can compete with the best one. He gets extra pins, you see. He gets a spot. We can't spot square dancers. We can't handicap them. They must either get in the set and dance or not dance. Now, how far do you go to satisfy this extreme or this extreme in your programming? Well, the average caller goes all out to satisfy this extreme because they're the ones he hears from. They're the ones he sees at every dance he calls. They're the ones that go to his house to dance after the dance. They're the ones that have him to their house for coffee. They're the ones that go to festivals with him. They're the ones that go to summer camps with him. And he hears from them constantly, and they tell him what they want. And they're the ones that say, throw the book at us. You call it. We'll dance it. You know, give us some hot hash. And what does the guy say that only comes once a month? He wouldn't bother to speak to you. He doesn't like you that well. He doesn't care if you never call again. And he won't bother to tell you anything. So you don't even know he's there. And the people in the various degrees of this enthusiasm. Now, this test of mental alertness and physical alertness and memory for terms just will not hold water in club programming. It cannot be done. Because it becomes a test of people of all these degrees of ability and enthusiasm. And you just must eliminate everybody except one set. Or maybe one couple that's too good to even dance with the one set. Or maybe one fellow that's even too good to dance with his wife through this process of elimination. So we plead with you, look at your club, recognize that this is the way the cookie crumbles, this is, this is the way the ball bounces, you can't change this. If you have a group of people, you, no matter, even if you go around hand-picking, going from club to club like a horse trader, selecting this couple and that couple to make a high-level club, you're still going to wind up with the slowest thinking the least enthusiastic in that group, and the most. You cannot handpick a club of dancers of equal enthusiasm and ability. You cannot do it. It's been tried and tried and tried. I've called for them all over the country, the handpicked clubs with their various names, the Eager Beavers, the Angerus Tensaurus Castorensis, the Anxious Tense Beavers in Latin. That was the name for them in St. Louis. Uh, that uh, wasn't hot enough, so they handpicked out of that group a group and called them the guinea pigs. And that gets smaller and smaller. And these groups eventually evolve. They either dissolve. They, they, they uh, can't survive with this attitude of let's, let's select the best and let's have the most alert and let's have the caller, you know, no walkthroughs, no talkthroughs, you call it, we'll do it uh, type of programming. Uh, it blows up in their face and they quit, or they gravitate into a bunch of fun-loving people that just come to dance and don't care what you call. That's usually what happens. Uh, I know several of them around the country that if you go dance with them, you, wouldn't, you couldn't possibly believe that that club once 
was formed on the basis of the superior dancers of that town. Because actually they have, now they're among maybe the poorest dancers in town. But they're still together and having a ball, having a lot of fun. I can name them for you. Now, you may say, well, what do we do about this? Number one, you train beginners from the beginning to put the emphasis on sociability, fun with other people, coming to a club to enjoy the people that are there, and secondly, on good dancing, good movement to rhythm, comfortable flowing rhythmical movement, in complete cooperation with seven other people, as near as possible, and trying to get around and dance with everybody in the hall and cooperate with everybody in the hall. As long as they cooperate with each other, and they're trying earnestly to cooperate with each other, they'll get along with each other. The minute they begin to compete with each other, look out. Then the friendships blow up and you're in trouble. So what do you do? You train dancers, and from the word go, you, you teach them to move in rhythm and to feel rhythm and music and to know that this is the important thing. And then you use figures as the, as the uh, uh, excuse for moving in rhythm, as the excuse, not the reason and purpose. Figures currently are being used as the reason and purpose of dancing, and they are not the reason and purpose, because only callers know when the combination of, clever, of figures is clever. Only callers know. The average dancer does one figure at a time. And then while he's doing the next figure, he forgets what figure he just did. And the third figure comes along and he's completely gotten the first, forgotten the first one and probably won't even remember the second one. And then the fourth figure comes along. Now, you know what I mean? The first he does a pass through and a round one. Now he forgets he did that. And then he does a star through and he forgets he was doing that pass through and a round one. And then he does a right and left through, and he forgets all about that star through. That was a while ago. I'm thinking about this now. And now he does a square through, four hands around. Now he's forgotten all about the pass through and around one and the star through and the right and left through, you see. And then he dives, uh, does a right and left through with the outside two. And he forgets about the square through now. And then he dives through, and uh, he squares through three quarters round, and there's the corner, left out a man. And the caller may think, gee, that was a clever combination of figures, and the dancer doesn't know it at all. He just did figures, and he got to the corner, and he did a left out a man. And if he did it, and everyone was where they were supposed to be at the right time, and he didn't have to stop and wait for somebody, or grab somebody and turn them to keep them going the wrong way, or bog down and smile and cuss under his breath, and get back home, you know, and square away, and then scream and do the Alaman left when it comes along. We're back in the act. If this didn't happen, if he if he went clippity clop all the way through, he's happy. He danced. He had a good time. And any other thinking that you establish in his mind is wrong. He will quit dancing unless this is his motivation, unless he wants to dance. If he is placing importance on the figures done, and if you are using the crutch of continuous new terms to let him grow, instead of letting him grow in variety of formation, rhythm, music, sociability, his, his relation with other people, if you're not letting him grow in all of these things and you're using only one thing, this crutch of continuous new terms, a whole bunch of new terms, and he's jolted, he has to stop and think. Fold the line. You know, what does it mean? Uh, oh, yeah. Well, until he masters it, it's high level. While he's still kind of stumbling a little, it's high level. As soon as he knows it, and he does a fold the line unconsciously, then it's low level. Now you've got to have another new one, you see. If you're jolting him with new terms to make him think he's growing, then you've got yourself, you've got a bull by the tail, and you just got to keep coming with new terms, new terms, new terms, new terms. And pretty soon his head is so full, remember some of them that you're calling, and he wants to slow down and not dance so many nights a week. He finds that if he doesn't dance three nights a week, he can't keep these things in his mind if he doesn't practice, and he can't keep up, and he drops out. 
Now that's the story of what's going on nationally in general, and I invite you to examine any area that you visit. We know this is not true in your clubs. In your clubs, everything is perfect. But when you visit around, you'll find this is the picture that I encounter across the country. Now, what do we do about it? We train him to be a dancer and to grow in rhythm and music and to accept all of the formations. And if we start on the first night of his beginning class and every night thereafter, he will. But if we teach him to do patter calls and singing calls, no rounds, no contras, no quadrilles, no uh, progressive circles, no progressive squares, progressive lines, nothing, just patter, hash call, singing call, hash call, singing call, and that's all we teach him through his beginning class, then you'll never get 75% of them to go and take any further instruction when you graduate them. They're dancers, and they're very limited. They don't know anything. They just know how to go down the middle and around one, square through and pass through, and just walk around in a square. That's what they know how to do. They haven't learned rhythm thoroughly. They haven't learned timing. They haven't learned all these things, and if you haven't taught them, then you just kiss those dancers goodbye. They're not going to be around with you very long. A few thick-skinned ones will be, but most of them will go down the drain after not too long an experience. Now, so much for philosophizing. You may say, well, now that's your opinion, Mr. Gilmore. It's what you say, and I can dig up a dozen callers in the country that'll tell you you're all wrong, that all the dancers want is hot hash. And the years old, and it's, uh, it dances every Saturday night in Ukaipa, and it's a pretty healthy club. And most of the other clubs that I called for, Squares Limited, uh, Jeans and Janes, these clubs, the, the Highland Swingers, uh, they're going merrily on since I've been on the road most of the time under the good leadership of people like Arnie Cronenberger and others at home who call and program like I did for clubs. We know what will work with those clubs because, believe you me, I drove away my share of dancers. I clobbered my share, and it was thousands. I mean, I literally drove away thousands of dancers, calling too fast, too tricky, too complicated, using every trick of showmanship, mob psychology, mob hysteria, and so forth that could not be sustained, and I found out the hard way. Anytime I make a recommendation to you as to something that will not work in square dance calling, it's because I've got two or three great big lumps to show for having tried it. I've done everything wrong at least once. Some things, many times. So when somebody else says, nah, this is baloney, you do it this way, clubs, has he successfully done at home what you're trying to do with your clubs? If he has successfully over a continuing period of years, if he's done this, and I can name the callers that are on tour have done this, I'm not going to, but I can name them. Uh, if he's done this, then you should listen to him. If he successfully called for clubs and developed good, strong, healthy clubs and kept people in them and kept them dancing at home, then you should listen to him. But don't take his word for it. If he says, I call for clubs for 10 years, Make sure it wasn't nightclubs. I know one fellow that said he had, and it was nightclubs. Beer joints. Um, that the fella knows what he's talking about. Somebody says contras ain't no good. They're not? Call one. Sarah, stop to think about it. If he says contras don't belong, they're no good, say to him, Okay, go ahead, call one. Teach it and call it. Well, teach it so that the people know how to do it and call it so they can do it. And if he can do this, if he can teach it so that they'll do it and call it so they'll do it well, then he has the right to say contras are no good. He has the right to have that opinion. But I'll guarantee you, I don't know of anybody that can do it that will say they're no good. But the ones that don't know how will say it's no good. Meaning, I don't do it, I can't do it, so I mustn't admit that anything I can't do is any good. Don't get mad at him for this. This is, this is a natural thing. This is insecurity speaking. And ignorance speaks with a loud voice. Um, be careful in whom you follow and 
who you listen to. Make sure that they are people that you'd love to have calling for your club that you might dance in every week or every two weeks, year in and year out. Be sure you'd be happy to dance with that person before you take some advice from them. Well, be sure you have to almost go beyond that. You might be happy because you're, you're a caller and you're thinking choreography and his handling of choreography might intrigue you and be pleasing to you. But be pretty sure that he's the kind of a caller that your dancers would love to dance to every week. This is one of the, one of the prices we pay for the touring caller thing that has developed, and I'm sorry to say, I guess I started it more than anybody else because that was the first one on the road most places. And uh, so I don't know. Maybe I should have stayed at home. Maybe it would never have started. But uh, the big problem with touring caller is that some caller comes into your town and uses a few little special gimmicks and a little mob hysteria and a few good gags and flashes a little personality and makes people real happy for one evening. But if the same guy was around for six dances, they'd probably quit and come back to your club. Now, this is true. This is true. Because some of them are using gimmicks. They're using gimmick dances with clever little things that amount to jokes, you know. They're telling little jokes. How many times can you hear the same jokes? You can do a lot of things. I can do things on a one-night stand that I wouldn't dream of doing with a club. Anybody who tours uses different approaches on the road than he does calling at home. He uses different type of programs with a club at home. Now, just remember this. When you see people getting excited and whistling and stomping and applauding for something that a caller does, it's dangerous to go up to the caller and say, how did you do that? I want that piece of material. It's dangerous. Because if it got a big reaction from them, it was probably novel. And if it's novel, it's no good for you on a weekend, week-out basis. Every time I go in and call a dance, I call some things that are real good solid material that you could use in a club almost every week or let's say you could use it for 10 weeks drop it for a while pick it up and use it again for 10 weeks and drop it for a while and keep on doing this for a long time and your dancers will enjoy it and do callers ask for that no they'll hit me and ask for say hey, how'd you do that uh, stump the caller thing last night which wasn't dancing at all you know, it's just ridiculous. It's just a little game. They'll ask you for the gimmicks because it gets a reaction from the dancers, you see. So be careful, very careful, in what type of programming you select based upon what you observe upon your exposure to touring callers, uh, magazines, books, records, and the reactions of the dancers that you call for to these people because this is one of the most misleading things that callers can do. Um, just to, to make a sort of a practical punch in this direction, think about this. If a caller comes along and he does something that really impresses the floor, the touring caller, and there are 10 callers at the dance, all 10 of them will start doing it at every dance they call next week. And if you are one of those ten, and you're doing it your dance, stop and think about what happens to the people that come to the dance. The same thing for you that they got it so and 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 so. Is this variety? Secondly, they're going to compare how you did it the way so and so did it. One of you is going to lose. If you are doing a different program from anybody else around. You're in good shape. They're giving people variety. When they come to you, you're not getting the same old seven and six. If every caller in this area that calls in a, an area where the dancers move around and dance with one of you, then the other, you know, if every caller in this area all land on the latest, newest singing call that comes out, then what kind of variety will the dancers get when they go to dances? They're going to get the same program everywhere they go bunch of callers all get on the same little group of dances. When the Southern California callers start rejecting them. So maybe there's hope. Maybe there's hope. For you, you're caught in this trap, you know. 
the touring callers come along and do it, and your dancers say, hey, you so-and-so, you haven't taught us to shake the dice. And we were confused and embarrassed. And you think you have to do it, you see. But pretty soon, dancers are not going to be getting this from most of the touring callers, because more and more of them have drawn the line, and they're adding only something that comes along that might be real interesting and and good to work with and uh, works in better than something we've been doing before. And I think this is a healthy indication. Now, we're going to give you about 10 minutes for any questions. Let's see, is there anything I've forgotten? Oh, I, I, for those of you that are here for the first time, I hope you understand that my reason for assuming to work with callers and instruct callers, uh, I've been doing it now for over 10 years, and I've I've done more, I guess, in, in this field and all of the other professionals put together. And the reason that I've dared to do it is for the reason I explained a while ago. I've done everything wrong at least once. And uh, drawing on that experience and on the experience of the hundreds upon hundreds of callers that I've visited with all over the United States and Canada and this constant touring, we try to help you avoid some of these lumps and we don't really do it too successfully, you'll insist on getting your lump anyway. You'll say, well, maybe he's right, but I don't know, and you'll go ahead and try. But we hope you'll only get one lump, see, and not be stubborn and keep banging your head until something's bleeding. And uh, in this way, we will help you. Uh, any questions now about what we've had to say so far, and then we're going to take an abrupt switch into another phase. Now, when we ask for questions, this is, remember what's happened before? Nobody has a question. They all said, okay, not a problem in the world until 12 o'clock tonight. At 12 o'clock, questions start coming privately by the gob. And every time I try to eat, I can't get a bite in my mouth, somebody will ask a question. Uh, I keep plugging for that beginning club, because that's what my club at home at 13 years old is. It's a beginner class that never ended. Uh, but if you are calling for a club, you will develop the courage to say, when I put anything on my program at my club, it's going to be for every person in the club. I'm going to program what everybody knows how to do. I'm, it makes just as much sense to say, now we're going to do the so-and-so round dance. Those who know it, go ahead, get your partners, get on the floor, and the rest of you go sit down and watch. That makes just as much sense as for you to say, well, now we're going to do the Wallagaroo scoopsy doopsy and those who do not know it, you sit down now and watch, and the others will square dance. Don't you see what I mean? It's ridiculous for us to have a club of people divided against each other on the basis of... I know how, and I don't know how. Because I don't know how, I have to sit down and watch. And if I don't know how, and I have to sit down and watch, I'll say, well, I don't like those dances. And we'll stress again that I don't even believe in that beginning class. If you can get, uh, do what you have to do to get five, six, seven, eight, ten sets and form them into a club from the first, well, from the third night on, they're a club. And keep them together as long as you can, whatever that may be. Maybe it won't be a year. Maybe it won't be two years like I'd like to see you do. <clears throat> but keep them together as long as you can and let them grow slowly and play. Uh, is an answer to this, and it has its weaknesses, it has its problems, and you've got all kinds of reasons why you can't do it. But uh, for every reason you show me that you can't do it, I'll show you a reason why the other system doesn't work either. Jack, question on this? But you can, no, no, you get another group going, you say, you get two of these groups going, and when you have enough shrinkage in both of them, uh, at the end of a year, you can marry those two groups, or you can even marry a one-year group with a six-month group very easily. The problem comes when you start trying to graduate the new class into the two-year or more club dancers two or more years. When a club is two years old, the dancers in a club have been dancing two or more years, they become 
from Adonis. And they'll be very nice, you tell them, now, be good to these beginners, we need them in the club, and they'll be real sweet to them for about two weeks, and then they won't dance with them. And some of your old-timers will quit because they get fed up with these new people being dumped in all the time. And they say, look, I've pulled my share of beginners through, I want to dance. You can't blame them. Now you say, well, the old clubs have to have replacements. Where are they going to get them? They're going to get them from that eager, rabid 10% of your new dancers who go three nights a week and in six months to a year are ready to go in their clubs. But they're going to get them a couple or two or three at a time, and that's what they're getting now. They're getting the rugged individuals that survive, you see, and they'll get them anyway. They'll join two or three clubs. Now, another thing you do is after you've run this class for a certain number of weeks, maybe 10 or 15 weeks, and you've had a shrinkage, and that's usually when you have a problem, is in that first 10 or 15 weeks, you'll have some drop-off that won't occur until you graduate them again. I mean, then you've you got them going. You know, they're pretty well sold if they stayed with you 10 weeks or so. And at this point, you're down in attendance to where you don't have enough people to sustain a small club or to pay you enough money, you may think, or whatever the situation may be. At this point, I uh, use a little, uh, I did use, uh, with my I tried a couple of beginning clubs and they worked for me, uh, or I wouldn't recommend them to you. Other callers are trying it and using it very successfully, or I wouldn't recommend it to you. But I did it and I got to a point and I had a, a drop off. And uh, I said to them, I said, you know, after the third week we closed this, no one knew could come in. And we explained to you that the reason for this, you, you wanted to bring friends, and we said we can't keep bringing them in because we have to keep going back to the beginning all the time. And so we closed it after the third week. But so many of you have come to me wanting to bring another couple. Now, mind you, maybe not one couple had come to me and said, I want to bring another couple. But I said to them, so many of you have come to me, and they don't know whether this is true or not, wanting to bring another couple, it has just occurred to me that maybe all of you would like to bring one more couple, one a couple of friends. Now, this won't work unless all of you do it, because uh, three or four couples that haven't talked to me about it, maybe, uh, wouldn't want to wait for the other people's friends to come along or help them. But if all of you bring another couple, you know quite a bit now, and you can help me with them, and we'll bring them right along to where you are in a hurry. And by golly, I doubled a class. They all looked around. Well, if everybody's going to bring a couple, gee, if a lot of them have got, yeah, I guess I can get a couple, and out they go. And beginners beget beginners. They know people that don't dance. Your old experienced dancers don't know anyone that doesn't dance. They've lost all their non-dancing friends. And they're a poor source. But these new dancers know a whole bunch of people that don't dance, and they're trying to get them anyway. They're, if they're enthusiastic, this is after 10 or 15 weeks. And they can go out and double it up for you and get over the capacity of your hall. In this case, we had to put two sets in the kitchen to dance the increased crowd. And we eventually lost two of those sets of the total, and we had the hall full. And the club stayed that way. Uh, for over a year, I don't think we had another couple drop out for over a year. It just stayed at capacity, and it was a wonderful dance. Then they lost a couple or two, and by this time they were ready to invite a couple or two to join. That were drifting around looking for a place to dance, you see. So uh, it worked very nicely. It can be done. There's a way, there's a method of making it work. The class system and the graduation and the diploma is not working. You graduate them and say, go to the club and dance. And they go in with fear and trembling, scared to death, feeling insecure, knowing they're not ready to dance with people who've practiced a lot longer. And they'll make more mistakes because they are afraid. They'll be embarrassed. And uh, just just keep books and see how many are still there at the end of, of one year after they graduate. Uh, the bulk of them are down the drain. Somebody told me this at lunch today that uh, there was a class of 18 sets graduated after 10 weeks and that they can't find two sets of them now in a certain town not too far from here. 18 sets, two sets left after graduation. It's a pretty tough price to pay. A lot of, uh, a lot of 
close and not much net. All right, let's have a couple of callers real quickly. Uh, we've got quite a bunch now to get to, so uh, we've got to make tracks. I'd like to call uh, get about 12 callers worked in the rest of this afternoon, this evening, calling. One. One more. Two. We've got two. All right, square away, and let's go. Got your records, fellas? Okay. So I'm your partner. The corner's all circle to the left, go right out the hall. Circle to the left, I'm in kind of high. Put a little girl on either side, do an element left. And a right, left, grand, grand, right, left, go round the land. Now meet your girl, and you pull her by. Turn the next two, pass over her, pull her left. Now corner, lady with the right hand round, back to your own left hand round. Now turn her twice and chain her across. To cross that ring and turn this girl left out of my hand. Part it right on a right foot grand. Grand right and left and around the ring go. Meet your honey, promenade. Just promenade and two foot two and get home. Swing a few, just swing and swing. And one and three, out to the middle and back to the ring. Go forward again with a right and left two. Full turn, face out and separate. Go round one, end of the middle with the right and left through. Full turn to the outside two and start through. Do a right and left through in front of you. Full turn around and face out. Then bend the line. Pass through, bend the line. Just those ends, star through. Do a right and left through, right down the middle and turn them boys. And pass through, split the ring, go round one. Line up for forward eight, back of under center's arch ends, duck under round one. Come down the middle, cross trail two and around just one. Into the middle and box the map, pull them by. Do an alabama just like that on a right back grand. Go round up and around the land, now meet your honey and promenade. Just take a walk with a bird and maid and get back home when you're there. Join eight hands, circle to the left, and round the ring go. Just circle left, walk all around the left and lady. Seesaw, turn a little far, back to the corner. Do it out of my left, don't step far around. And around the ring, meet your honey. Do a wagon wheel, just walk right around. Give a little whirl, take her by the left, do pass over her by the left, not corner. Lady, right and round, back to your own. Roll the promenade, go round, just promenade, go round the town, get back home, and honor that partner, and corners all, thank you, lady, that'll be all. Okay, son, uh, let's do a little bit of the same call. Now, this one you said you just, just started using, and I just want to hear what you will do with, uh, with uh, this.
There's a, did you notice anything different in the way he calls to this record than he does to the other? A little bit more uh, emphasis of rhythm in this because you're getting a ricky-ticky-ticky-ticky-ticky-ticky on this one where the other one didn't have that. It's a, it's more of a jazzy tune. Now, the thing that... Yeah, that's true. But the thing where... Uh, we, we make all sorts of allowances where you're not calling here like you do at home. But there are certain things that we think we can... Uh, indicated that you probably do in your calling. And one of the things you're doing is this thing we talked about a little while ago of uh, being sort of lazy-lipped about it, you know. Instead of saying, alum and left with the old left hand, partner right and right and left grand, right and left go around, was to say, alum and your left hand, partner right, right and left grand, you see, using a minimum of syllables. Now, this is good if you use it in contrast of clippity-clippity-clippity-clip, and then slow, slow, and then clippity-clippity-clippity-clip for a change of pace. Do you know what I mean? Uh, what I'm saying is this. You could add to, you're using, uh, wherever possible, you're using the extended thing, you know. And you could add to this short sessions in your call, short sequences in your call of busy, busy call. I'll demonstrate. I guess it's better to do it that way. Now, on your partner, your corner is all. And the old left hand, partner right, or right and left grand. Now, that's what he's been doing all the way through, you see. Now, promenade, go to but to promenade or home with you. You see what I mean? This is what you're doing in general. Now, add to that. That's good, but add to it this. And the old left hand, back to your partner, right and left grand. music. 
you're influenced by it and you follow it. So use some busy records, you know, records that go a lot of little notes, and it'll get you doing the same thing in spots. Ed Gilmore's presentation will end here, and this will be marked as part one. Thank you for joining us this week, and I invite you back next week for another audio celebration of modern Western square dancing. Please send your comments to buddy at buddyweaver.com.